So we're going to begin this morning with a story from the ancient days. So I thought, I thought I'd take a seat for the storytelling. But this is a story about a man named David. Now, before David was a man, of course, David was a boy. He was born to his father, Jesse, the youngest of eight sons. And he lived a quiet and unassuming life, tending the sheep and the goats of his family out in the field. David was a shepherd. And at that time, David was a shepherd. A man named Saul was the king of Israel, but he wasn't doing a very good job of that. He was prideful and dishonest, and he lacked integrity. He wasn't really a good man to be king. But Israel had demanded a king because all of the other nations had kings, so they wanted one. So God gave them what they asked for, and they received Saul as a king. But as I said, Saul was doing a pretty bad job of being king, and God was pretty disappointed with him, as was the prophet Samuel, who had been a part of appointing Saul as king in the first place. Samuel was feeling pretty bad about being a part of this whole Saul debacle. And after meeting with Saul to discuss his downfalls as a king, Samuel continued to constantly mourn for Saul and for the position he was in. But after plenty of mourning, God spoke to Samuel and said, Look, enough with that. It's time to start looking forward. So fill your flask with olive oil for anointing and come with me to Bethlehem where I'll get you to anoint the next king of Israel. Samuel was a little concerned about what might happen if Saul found out he was off to anoint a new king. But nonetheless, Samuel obeyed what God had asked and he set off to Jerusalem to meet the future king. Now, all God had told Samuel was that the future king would be one of Jesse's sons. So Samuel Samuel meets up with Jesse and his sons. He explains why he's there. He performs the purification rite for Jesse and his sons. And then he looks at Eliab, one of the sons, and thinks to himself, my, what a fine-looking, strong young man. He'll be good for being king. But God says, oh, hold up, Samuel. That's not the one. You're just looking at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. This isn't the one you want. So Samuel looks to the next son, Abinadab, but no. Then the next, Shemir, and it's not him either. And Samuel sees another four of Jesse's sons, but none of them are the one that will be king, and now he's run out of sons. Samuel helplessly says to Jesse, You don't happen to have any more sons, perchance. Remarkably, Jesse does have another son. It's the little one who's out tending to the sheep and the goats. He's just a shepherd, you see, so they didn't think they'd bother him with all this palaver. But Samuel demands that they send for him, and he refuses to move on until he's seen him. When the last son comes before Samuel, he hears the Lord's words loud and clear. This is the one. Anoint him. So Samuel anoints the youngest son, David, there in front of his father and his brothers. He pours the olive oil from his flask over him to anoint him, and we're told that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. 
David's next big break was then getting a part-time job with King Saul to complement what he was doing as a shepherd. David went to Saul to play the harp for him, to help him deal with a tormenting spirit he had, and his playing helped to relieve the torment that Saul was facing. And Saul grew to love David very much. Following this, Saul ran into more trouble, this time with a giant Philistine named Goliath. Goliath was taunting the Israelite army, and he demanded that they send out their best man to fight him. The Israelites were terrified. Goliath was a mammoth man, wearing armor that was the size and weight of just a regular man. No one was going to be able to defeat him on their own. For 40 days, there was a standoff. No one was willing to meet Goliath when he presented himself each day and laid down his challenge. The army of Israel ran scared each time. No one could take him on. That's until David turned up. He came down one day with some nice treats for lunch for his brothers who were in the army. And he saw Goliath and he became curious about what was going on. So he started asking around some of the other men in the army to see what was up. David got reported for asking too many questions and King Saul sent for him. And when he came before the king, David, full of confidence, said to him, don't worry about that Philistine. I'll go fight him. King Saul, of course, took some convincing, seeing as David was not only young, as in he was under 10, but he was ill-equipped, not trained, and didn't even have any armor of his own. But David didn't need any of that. All he took with himself to the battlefield was his shepherd's staff, his sling, and five smooth stones. And it was only when Goliath sneered at David and mocked his show that David revealed to the giant his most, most certain method of attack. David said to Goliath, You come at me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And the Lord did give Goliath over to the Israelites. As David brought him down with one smooth stone sunk deep into his forehead using just his little sling. After this impressive act, David began to rise in popularity. King Saul gave him a little more authority and the Israelites grew to love David more and more until they loved him more than they loved Saul which didn't really do wonders for an already fragile king. Saul's jealousy of David led him to want to kill him, and Saul and his army chased David all through the wilderness as they tried to bring him to his end. Though David escaped unharmed, and he even gave up a couple of opportunities where he could have taken Saul's life himself. And still David's popularity grew, and Saul descended further and further into jealousy and torment. David was still on the rise when he heard of the gruesome death of Saul and his sons. David mourned the loss of the king and of his friends, and he settled in Hebron to rule the tribe of Judah for seven and a half years. 
until all of the tribes of Israel came together united, and their elders once again anointed David and asked him to be their king, the king of Israel. And he reigned as the king of Israel for 33 years. And David did well as the king. He trusted God deeply and he was humble. And he gave the people hope that despite human evil, God would still work for the good of his people. David was a good king and he led Israel well. He chose Jerusalem to be their capital and he brought the ark of the Lord to be placed there and he danced before it in celebration when it arrived. David then told the Lord that he would make him a beautiful cedar palace for him to live in. But God didn't need David to build him a place to dwell. Instead, he promised to David that he would build him a house, a dynasty of kings. And from David's line would come the one who would build a temple for God in his name that would last forever. Beginning as a young shepherd to then becoming the king of all Israel, and then being promised an everlasting kingdom to come from his line, David had risen to the highest heights that a man could rise. And ever humble, he prayed to God, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? David had done well for Israel. He'd served them faithfully, but most importantly, he had served the Lord faithfully and honored the spirit that the Lord had anointed him with by attributing all of his successes to God alone. And so it seems so wrong that after doing so well, that David could do so much damage in such a harmful and obvious way that he failed. Yet he did. While her husband was away fighting for Israel, David spied a woman named Bathsheba bathing on her roof, and his humanness took over himself, and he said, I have to have her. So David, the king of Israel, sent for Bathsheba, and she came to him, and he committed adultery with her, causing her to fall pregnant. David allowed his lust to overwhelm him. And he lay with another man's wife. And when she became pregnant whilst her husband was away, David did his very best to call her husband home to get them to cover up what had happened. But his plan fell through. So he had to move on to his plan B. And his lie by now was spiraling uncontrollably. With Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back out at the battlefield, David strategically had him placed in a vulnerable position, and Uriah was killed on the front lines. David was then free to take Bathsheba to be his own wife, and in his, and in his palace, Bathsheba birthed David's own son, and his sin went unnoticed by the people. But God had seen, and he wasn't happy. So he sent the prophet Nathan to confront David about what he had done. 
And Nathan, he laid it out plainly for David. He said, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and wives and the kingdom of kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you so much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? David, in response, he humbles himself quickly and confesses and repents, saying, I have sinned against the Lord. Well, that's what's recorded in 2 Samuel 12 anyway, but Psalm 51, which is today's passage, fleshes out David's response to Nathan just a little more. This is Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You don't desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Nathan assures David that God has forgiven him. And David, he won't have to pay the ultimate penalty, the punishment of death, which would be right for what he's done. But David and his family will have to bear the consequences of his actions. And from here on out, things aren't easy. The once great King David's days end with him still on his throne, but as a sad and broken man, shattered by the devastating consequences of his own sin.
that is the story of David. From shepherd boy to giant slayer to beloved king of Israel to a sad and broken man. But throughout his life, there was a consistent character which marked David. And maybe it stands out so well against the contrast of King Saul before him, a prideful man who lacked integrity and self-awareness. But David was clearly marked with a consistent character of humility throughout his life. Through his meteoric rise to power, David remains humble and David continues to trust in the Lord's power alone. But then he stuffs up. He allows his lust to overpower him. He commits adultery. He lies. He murders. And maybe he's gotten away with his transgressions in the eyes of the people. Maybe he's done enough to cover his tracks and to hide his sin, but he can't hide it from God. And the words of Psalm 51 present David's plea for mercy, his prayer for restoration for forgiveness and cleansing. And whilst these words were offered from David's heart because of a specific situation, a particular place and time, we cannot let that limit the power that they still have today. In the psalm, it speaks for itself. There's not really an explanation needed to unpack David's prayer, but I would like to draw just a few points from it today that highlight David's admirable character. Firstly, David owns his sin. Psalm 51, it's peppered with words of confession. I recognize my rebellion. Against you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. I was born a sinner. Purify me from my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. David owns his sin. At no point in Psalm 51 or in the whole account of David's life does he try to shift the blame or, try, or does he not recognize what he's done. He doesn't blame Bathsheba's beauty like, oh, look at her, any man would have done it. He doesn't blame Uriah's absence like, oh, she needed taking care of. He doesn't even blame his own humanness like, well, you know, we all stuff up. From time to time, it's okay. Instead, David is absolutely devastated by what he's done. He's appalled at the choices that he's made in those moments, and he knows he can never take them back. He can never do it differently. So all he can do is own up to it and own up to God, to throw himself down before the Lord face first and say, look, you anointed me, and this is what I've done. All I ask is that you please hear my plea for mercy. And once again, maybe it's because we look at David contrasted against Saul, who appeared to never really honestly examine himself. But David's confession and his ownership of his sin speaks volumes of his character. No one else chose what David would do. David chose that string of actions and reactions. And he knows 
He knows that he's the only one, so he acknowledges that. We have been given the gift of free will. Right back at creation, God gave us the gift of free will. And that means that we make our own decisions. Sometimes we come to a place where we feel cornered or trapped. And we try to blame all sorts of things or people for putting us there. But if we were to honestly map out what had led us to that point, we should see that it was through a series of our own choices, good, bad, or otherwise, that have led us to where we are. But that's hard to do. And it takes humility to do that because then we have to realize that we have to take responsibility. We have put ourselves wherever we are. But David, he manned up and he did that. He was humble and he looked back and he went, this one's on me. And he had to do that because he knew that was the only way he would find freedom. Are you feeling trapped or cornered at the moment? Maybe it's time to do some deep soul work with God and examine yourself and how you got to where you are. Be honest with God and with yourself. Take ownership and allow God to lead you from there towards freedom. Secondly, David prays a bold prayer. Have you ever prayed cautiously because you're afraid that maybe what you put out there might actually happen? Well, David prays a bold prayer. He isn't overly cautious or afraid. He's simply honest and he speaks the cry of his heart. He prays, don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David prays boldly. He knows that what he's done isn't what a godly man should do. It's not what a man filled with the Spirit of the Lord does. So why wouldn't God take his Holy Spirit from him? Why would God's Spirit want to remain in such a selfish and destructive heart? We have a guarantee now through the work of Christ on the cross that God will never leave us or forsake us, that his Holy Spirit will always remain with us and within us. We spoke about that last week. When we accept Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit with us. Wherever we go as our advocate, our comforter, our helper, as the very presence of God within us. But how bold would we be if we still prayed as honestly as David did, speaking out the honest cries of our hearts? God's Holy Spirit is with us and within us. There's nothing that we can do that will surprise him or that will catch him off guard. God is big enough to receive our honesty to receive our greatest dreams and our deepest fears. God is powerful enough to hear our laments and our complaints, our hurts, even if they're about him. And he's merciful enough to guide us gently from there into restoration. And God is gracious enough to forgive, no matter what. 
God is gracious enough to forgive. Is there something that maybe you're trying to hide or hold from God? Is there something you feel you can't share honestly with him? Remember, God is bigger and more powerful and more merciful and more gracious than we can ever comprehend. Maybe it's time to be bold and honest with God. Speak out the honest cry of your heart to him. He can handle it. Finally, David finds at the end of himself that God is already there amongst the deepest, darkest parts of himself. Psalm 51 verses 16 to 17 speak about sacrifice. In the message translation, it puts it this way. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. The Old Testament custom was to offer various animal sacrifices to God to symbolize your repentance of whatever sins you had committed. But here David learns that he could offer the finest animals in the world he could offer all of the animals in the world and still not be made right with God. The animal is only a symbol of sacrifice. The true sacrifice, David learns, comes from the sacrifice of his own heart. David learned God worship. He learned how to truly worship when his pride was shattered when he was brought to his knees by the weight of his own sin, when he realized how much devastation he had caused because of his own selfish desires, when he acknowledged that there was nothing he could do to make amends for this, and when he knew that he was utterly helpless, that's when David learned how to truly worship God. At his deepest darkest moment in the bottom of his filthy inner sin cave where David found no way out. That's where he found God. Heart-shattered lives, ready for love, don't for a moment escape God's notice. David learnt that true worship could only be offered when we had come to the end of ourselves. Only when we could acknowledge that nothing we can ever do will be enough. And from the depths of himself, God forgave him. Because he saw a heart-shattered life that knew it was nothing without God's love. And that kind of heart, God just can't resist. We don't have to reach rock bottom to know this. We can know and we can experience God's merciful and gracious and all-forgiving love all day, every day. But we still have to pay the price of our own pride. What's in your filthy inner sin cave? Don't get ahead of yourself. We all have one. 
Not one of us is better than any of the others. We all have sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory. So what's in yours? You don't have to tell me, but maybe it could be time to tell God so you can start working your way to the end of yourself and to the place where you will find him. Remember, heart-shattered lives, ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. Take ownership, be honest, and sell out your pride to God. Follow David's example of how to live as a shepherd, as a king, as a sinner, and as a carrier of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so great, and we will never know. We will never understand or comprehend how big you are, how good you are, how gracious you are, and how forgiving you are. Lord God, no matter what, you're able to forgive. No matter what we're trying to hide, no matter what we're trying to cover up, no matter how terrible we think it might be, you are ready to forgive. So Lord, help us to take ownership, to examine ourselves honestly and confess. Help us to be honest, to speak out the cries of our hearts, to share our greatest dreams and our deepest fears with you. And help us to learn how to sell out our pride to you. Help us to recognize that we're nothing without you. Remind us of that, God, when we get too big for our boots or we get ahead of ourselves. Remind us that we are here because of you and you alone. Teach us, God, to take a leaf out of David's book out of the book of the life of a man who rose to greatness but fell so low, yet still was lifted up in your gracious and forgiving hands. Lord God, help us to be ready to do some deep soul work with you, to allow you in deeper inside of us that we've ever let you before, and help us to open up some of those things that we've kept stowed away from you so that you may begin a transformative and renewing work within us. We are here for you, God, and you alone.